Hello and welcome to Murder on Her Mind. I'm Caitlin O'Malley and I'm your host of this podcast. Alrighty, well happy Tuesday everybody. I hope you're having a wonderful day or evening or whatever time it is. Um, it's technically Saturday for me. Um, so I am just, I've just been kind of like running around the house and um, cleaning and organizing and doing the whole shebang. So um I also went for a run this morning. I'm doing a competition with the girls at work. There's uh, three of us doing it. And I thought it'd be a good idea to do just before Christmas where we have to get in like, um, basically we're all gonna buy like two balls of wine each. So that's six balls of wine in total. And by, I think it's um, December 17th or 18th or something. Maybe it was even the 19th. Um, we would, see who got the most amount of steps in by them so i'm really determined to win this because i haven't been drinking since november or sorry october 17th i think it was so i'm past 30 days already it was great i'm definitely gonna drink over christmas i was just kind of doing it for like a healthy kind of thing um and it's been going really well i've been really enjoying it and like drinking to me is like nothing really it's just more like a social thing um so it was easy enough for me to do um but if you've never tried it before and like you're kind of interested in it or like scared of doing it because you don't think you could give it a try like even um you know for people who like only drink on the weekends that's what i only do as well and like i just gave it a go like right before christmas so even if you want to do it now say like you start on tuesday when this podcast comes out and you do it until like the 20th of December like that's still really good like that's just like a good few weeks and then you know you can have as much fun as you want then on Christmas it's great um so anyways we're gonna see how many we can how many steps I can get in every day I'm gonna try and aim for about 13,000 steps a day um I'm gonna say 13 to 14,000 steps um so we'll see we'll see how that goes um but yeah it'll it'll be good i guess sorry it's like 1400 not um not 14,000 that's a lot <laughs> oh numbers maybe i'm wrong i don't know i'm confusing myself now but yes yeah, so we're doing that right now and then today um so i went for my run it was great and then uh, later on today i'm going for like a social distance walk with my friends um which will be really nice it's a beautiful day today so um yeah we're just gonna go hang out and chit chat about some stuff so um i I just again i cannot believe i even posted on my instagram story yesterday my personal account about how like we haven't had snow yet and everyone got so mad at me for posting that (laughs) i was like i'm serious though like it doesn't even feel christmasy here without the snow like it's literally so sunny outside right now so I guess um we really shouldn't be complaining but um it definitely it definitely is strange that the weather is is this nice for almost the end of November like this is unheard of um I look at like snapchat memories from like a year ago and there's a video of me like sitting in my car and there's like just white almost like smoke coming out of my mouth it was just so so cold and um like you even like by this time 
in November, you're usually driving like with your gloves on for the first like 10 minutes because your steering wheel is freezing cold. Um, so it's crazy that it's just this nice right now. Um, and I guess like too, coming from like Ireland, it's um, crazy being having a Christmas with so much snow. Um, in in Ireland now, we wouldn't it, where I live on the west coast, you wouldn't really get as much snow. You would just get um, like frost on the ground, which is really really pretty. And like when you walked on the grass, like the grass was like crunch. It was just so nice, and um, it'd be there'd be no like wind in the air either. Like sometimes it'd be like a frosty morning. It was just like everything was stood still. But if it was windy, none of us would probably go outside because Ireland is so freaking cold. It's, it's colder than Canada, hands down. Same in the UK. Like when it's like wintry and it's windy and like rainy, you cannot compare it to any other weather. Um, even in Canada, when it gets to like minus thirty, you just it's doesn't compare to the wet cold in Ireland um but uh yeah and I remember one year it actually it's going on a story now about snow but one year it had snowed in Ireland and all the schools had like closed down so like I think it was two or three years ago you know the whole country shut down because of this random snowstorm that they got and we don't get that at all in Ireland all the shops closed down the whole country went into like basically like lockdown um and people were fighting over like brennan's bread which is this amazing bread from back home it's so good um and like it it was just everyone getting like their last resources in the shop someone broke into like a little with like a a a tractor or like a lorry or something i remember seeing that on the news and it was just mad um but years ago when i was living there i was probably about like i'm gonna say like 12 or 13 at the time um, Dublin had a massive snowstorm and Ireland had like a little bit of snow but it was freezing cold so like our school got shut down because the pipes burst so I got to go up to Dublin for like a week to my second cousin who I'm really close with and um, it felt like a week anyways it might have only been like four days but um, it was amazing and I remember us like playing in the snow um, out on like the football pitch behind his house he lived in like County Kildare in Selbridge and uh it was just mad like i remember having like the most fun ever and i i think ethan came up with me my brother i think he did and we were out for hours and hours and hours into the pitch dark and i think i remember us like having to come in a few times like having to like change our set of gloves we would leave them on the radiator and then come back in and you know um change your socks like you kind of did like a rotation of <laughs> changing things because we don't have like winter boots you don't have like the stuff that we have in Canada here and like cars just don't have like the same function as they do here in Canada either so when it does snow like nobody knows like what's happening it's like when it rains in Calgary people are like what is this moisture coming from the air and everyone just stops learning how to drive it's ridiculous um but uh yeah don't even get me started on my road bridge here in calgary there's some really interesting uh drivers out there (laughs) um but yeah uh so that's my little i guess sidebar note on um uh, christmas and snow um i just wanted to snow i really really wanted to snow and i'll never forget one christmas um this one house we lived in when we lived uh we our first house we actually bought and it was in mindaport and it was the most beautiful home ever i loved it and we had huge trees outside our house and like mindaport is just a beautiful neighborhood in the south of calgary um and 
on Christmas morning, it was snowing and it was just huge, white, fluffy snowflakes. It was beautiful. Um, I'm like, that's all I want. I really just want to snow for Christmas this year. It's like my biggest wish. <laughs> Last year I was in Ontario and it didn't snow at all over Christmas, which I thought was crazy. It was still cold. It was freezing cold, but it did not snow. Um, <laughs> I just had a whole conversation about snow and stories. Uh, I was also telling one of my clients all the stuff that my parents used to do to us um, at Christmas to like prank us. So I think I'm going to save that for closer like in December or whatever because we are early November <clears throat> I need to reel it in like a little bit but she just thought it was the funniest thing ever and everything was basically on home video as well so I'm gonna try and find some of those videos and re-watch them so I can tell the story a bit better but my god my mum and dad were so funny when they would play pranks and us about that for Christmas uh Kyle my brother he's the one with special needs my BFF he um is still terrified of the elf on the shelf he tells it to fuck off all the time um you know it's great it's absolutely hilarious like last night i hid in his closet and i asked mia to record it so mia was like she put her phone like on his tv stand in his room and i was hiding in his closet and i had the elf and he came into his room and i threw the elf at him and he got such a fright like he hates that thing so much and i just love how angry he gets he goes fuck you can he calls me can oh man yeah he's funny anyways um so let's actually get on to the episode here i can imagine most people actually skip through this part i don't think most people like listen to my intro of telling stories um and again i don't think i got to apologize last time but i think on my episode for um i believe it was elizabeth diane downs the intro didn't pop up on apple it only popped up on spotify um so my whole intro for that was um non-existent i guess but um yeah anyways I, apologies if you were just like why did she go straight into it like usually there's an intro and there's music and stuff but i'm not really sure what happened there because it uploaded to everywhere else it's probably just a glitch in the system um but yeah uh i hope you guys enjoy this episode um i think i believe we're on like episode 18 it's so crazy so so crazy please don't forget to rate review subscribe i'm loving like hearing like all the feedback and stuff like it really really makes me happy so please if you have any feedback or any murders that you'd like me to or like any murder stories or christmas stories that you want me to do for like the month of december send them in to me i like let's try and make ourselves like a little happy here along with all the terrible true crime and everything that's going on in the world and fear of lockdown like let's let's uh, spread a little bit of cheer um but anyways happy listening and enjoy thank you all right guys so let's get into this episode 18 um we are going to be doing the story of the yorkshire ripper i thought this was quite a good thing to do seeing as he passed away just last week due to covid um which i couldn't think of a more appropriate death for someone so horrific <laughs> so terrible to say but so true um i actually had a lovely young lady messaged me on instagram she's originally from yorkshire and she wanted me to do this and i had already written it down that i wanted to do it and i was like you know why don't I just do it right now seeing he's he's dead may as well so um 
yeah, I think uh, it'll be quite good to do. It's quite a crazy story just of how he went along with his uh, life. Um, but yeah, so she had messaged me on Instagram and it was really kind like what she had said. And I thought it was really cool that she just found my um, podcast just through Spotify. It was recommended to her. And I was like, oh, that makes me so happy. Like I can't, it just made me so, so happy to realize that like it wasn't like referred to her or like um, she didn't just happen to come across it on like Instagram. Like she actually found it through Spotify. Like that was just such a huge like feeling for me. And I was just so happy about that. Um and actually like I guess like her mum's friend because like it was during their time of like growing up as like teenagers and stuff or young adults I guess um how her mum's best friend was almost one of her his victims which is really really scary um and how terrifying it was for them at that time that women would never go out after dark during this period um so yeah like let's get right into it so Peter Williams Sutcliffe um, he was born on June 2nd of 1946. He was an English serial killer who was dor- dubbed <laughs> dubbed the Yorkshire Ripper. In 1981, Sutcliffe was convicted of murdering 13 women and attacking seven others. He is currently serving 20 um, sentences of life imprisonment in Boardmore Hospital. Um, so he did get moved to a hospital um and we'll get into that later on so after his conviction Sutcliffe began using his mother's maiden name and became known as Peter William Coonan um a high court ruling rejected an appeal in 2010 confirmed that he would serve a whole life triumph of and would never be released from imprisonment which is good so we'll do like a little background here on Sutcliffe so he was born in Bingley which was um kind of like a a market town like it had like lots of little shops and stuff like that i've actually heard of bingley before um it looks quite cute as looking at pictures of it um so he came from like a working class catholic family in west riding of yorkshire and um a son of john sutcliffe who was very like strong male dominant character he had like a lot of control over the mother and um he had other siblings which the dad really looked up to or sorry looked down on and you know was really admiral of them and then his mother kathleen francis sutcliffe um so you know Sutcliffe was very close with his mother um and I think he had like a lot of sympathy towards his mother because of how dominating um the father was and everything so um you know his relationship with his mum kind of deteriorated later on in life as he found out that um she had been cheating she had been having an affair I think it was like a police officer actually and that's where you know a lot of his hatred from women came from because he looked so much up to his mum like his mum was like his best friend he was a very like quiet person and just a kind of like a nobody really and um yeah he was super close with his mum so when he found out his mum was having an affair he kind of lost all respect for women and this is where like a lot of his hatred originally stemmed from so um yeah and i also think i'm either guessing the mum was either from scotland or she was from ireland because um kathleen's a very irish name and you know coming from like a catholic family and everything like that it just seems like maybe she was like of irish descent or maybe scottish 
but I couldn't find anything on that. So um, he was reported to be like a bit of a loner at school. He was very shy and timid. Um, he left at the age of 15 and took a series of um, kind of just like small jobs. He included um, two stints as a grave digger during the 1960s. And um, he was known to actually have stole stuff from the graves as well. Uh, which I think is just insane so ballsy and so freaky to do as well um so it was during the 1960s he was a grave digger um between November 1971 uh, sorry April 1973 so Cliff worked at the factory of Baird Television LTD on the packaging line he left when he was asked to go on the road as a salesman so after leaving Baird, he worked as a night shift in Britannia Works of Anderton International, April 1973. Um, in February of 1975, he took redundancy, used the payoff to gain HGV license on June 4th, 1975, began working uh, as a driver uh, on the 29th of September for a year. On March 5th of 1976, he was dismissed for the theft of tyres. Um, he was unemployed until October 1976 when he found another job as a driver again um, on the Canal Industrial Estate of Bradford. Uh, Sutcliffe frequently used prostitutes as a young man and he had been speculated to have bad experience with one which had believed to have been co- uh, coned of money which helped fuel his violent hatred of women. Um, so then he had met his wife Sonia, she was of Czech and Ukrainian descent on February 14th of 1967. They married on the 10th of August 1974. His wife suffered several miscarriages over the following few years and couple were subsequently informed that he would not that she would not be able to have children. So, so shortly after this, she resumed teacher training course where she completed the course in 1977 and began teaching the couple use a salary from her job um, to buy their first house in Heaton Bradford where they moved on the 26th of September of 1977 um, where they were still leaving, uh, living at the time of Sutcliffe's arrest so um, it, he goes on quite like a spree and it, it it's, it's a little bit spread out but not um, you know incredibly spread out so in 1969, Sutcliffe committed his first assault on an older prostitute whom he had met while searching for women who he had previously tricked them out of money. He had left his friend's minivan and walked into Paul's Road, Bradford, until he was out of sight. When he came back, he was out of breath as if he had been running. He told long-term friend of his, Trevor Bridsall, who was a driver of the vehicle that he was in, to drive off quickly. Sutcliffe said that he had uh, followed a prostitute into a garage and hit her over the head with a stone <laughs> sock like could you imagine like me just like popping into my friend katie's car let's just say and i'm like katie you gotta drive fast and just wax some guy over the head with uh, a sock and a stone quick go on drive on there my friend would leave me on the side of the road she'd be like absolutely not <laughs> you psycho bitch but like it's just so mad that people are like feel like they have to help these people even though they're best friends it's just so strange to me um according to his statement Sutcliffe stated i got out of the car went across the road and hit her the force of the impact tore the toe off the sock i never was in it came out i went back into the car and got it 
When the police visited his home the next day, they informed that the woman who um, had no resemblance to the prostitute who tricked him out of £10 had noted that Bridswell's minivan vehicle registration plate. Sutcliffe admitted that he had hit her over the head but claimed that it um, was only with his hand. The police told him it was very lucky as the prostitute didn't want anything more to do with the incident. She was known prostitute for common law husband who was serving sentence for assault. So, you know, one of the documentaries that I was watching on the Yorkshire Ripper, um, a lot of them said, like, if he had just been arrested, you know, even that one time for doing this, then it might have prevented all these other deaths that will be coming up. So, um, Sutler committed his second assault on the night of 5th of July of 1975 in Cayley. He attacked Anna Rosilki, uh, who was walking alone, striking her unconscious with a ball pin hammer um, and slashing her in the stomach with a knife. Disturbed by a neighbour, um, he left without killing her. Rosilski survived after an excessive medical intervention, um, but was emotionally traumatised by his attack. Sutcliffe attacked Olive Smelt in Halifax in August, employing the same modus. He struck her from um, behind and used a knife to slash her, though this time above her buttocks. Again, he was interrupted and left his victim badly injured but still alive. Like Rosalski, uh, Smelt suffered emotional scars from the attack, including cl- clinical depression. And on, 20, on the 27th of August, Sutcliffe attacked 14-year-old Tracy Brown in Silsden. He struck her from behind and hit her in the head five times while he was walking into the country lane. Sutcliffe was not convicted for this attack but confessed to it in 1992. The first victim to lose her life was uh, Wilma McCann on October 30th. McCann was a mother of four from the Chapel Town district of Leeds. Sutcliffe struck her twice with a hammer before stabbing her 15 times in the neck, chest and abdomen. Traces of semen were found on the back of her underwear and excessive inquiry involving 150 police officers and 11,000 interviews failed to undercover the culprit. One of McCann's daughters committed suicide in December 2007 reportedly after suffering years of torment after her mother's death which is so so heartbreaking you know just just like that a life taken just because of some fucking sick bastard so Sutcliffe committed his next murder on January of 1976 when he stabbed Emily Jackson 51 times in Leeds in dire financial straits Jackson had been using the family van to exchange sexual favors for money a fact which shocked the family and neighbors when it was revealed after the murder Sutcliffe hit her on the head the hammer and then he sharpened the screwdriver to stab her in the neck chest and abdomen Sutcliffe also also stamped on her thigh leaving behind an impression of his welly oh and to my canadians out there a welly is like a rubber boot um i forget whatever chris calls him something really funny like his gloshes or something (laughs) i just think that's the funniest name for a pair of wellies and yeah, he stood on her with such force that it actually left an imprint of the um, welly and they knew like what size it was and everything. It was like a size like 11 welly and they knew like the brand and everything, which I just think is so crazy, even for back then, like just to like narrow it down like that, like it's mad. So Sutcliffe attacked uh, Marcella 
Claxton in Roundhay Park, Leeds on May 9th. Um, walking home from a party, she was given a lift by Sutcliffe when later she got out of the car to urinate. Sutcliffe hit her over the head um, from behind with a hammer. She was left alive and was able to testify against Sutcliffe at his trial. Um, which is just so crazy that she survived that and like that he still went on to kill um he probably like left her unconscious there but you know at least when he went on to trial um yeah she was able to you know confirm that it was him so in 1977 Sutcliffe's next murder took place in February of 1977 he attacked Irene Richardson age 28 uh, another tra- Chapel Town prostitute in Ranbury Park, killing her with a series of uh, weighty hammer blows, followed by a post-mortem stabbing. Tire tracks left near the murder scene resulted in an enormous list of possible suspect vehicles. Two months after he killed Patricia, Tina Axton, age 32, a Bradford prostitute at the flat where police found... Um, I'm sorry, I just realised... I should not be saying prostitute. I should be saying sex worker, and I've said it like ten times now. So, my apologies. I will, I will further now say sex worker because they are all sex workers, and it's really sad. Um, at her flat, where police found a boot print on her bedclothes. After another two months, Sutcliffe com- uh, committed another vicious murder in the Chapel Town. His victim, Jay McDonald, age sixteen. Um, she was not a sex worker. Um. And in the public perception, her death showed that every woman was a potential victim. So this really created like a lot of fear in Yorkshire at the time because at first everyone thought, you know, it is going to be sex workers. It's going to be like a certain type of women. Um, and then all of a sudden a 16 year old innocent young girl and they're all innocent. That's that's the thing, though. They're all innocent. But the age of 16, who was just, you know, a schoolgirl, um, randomly murdered, um, the same way all these other women were, it really, really put the fear of God into people, I think. So, um, so yeah, every woman then was a p- potential victim. Sutcliffe seriously assaulted Maureen Long, age 42, in Bradford in July, um, in July, interrupted, he left her for dead. A witness misidentified the make of his car. Over 300 police officers working on the case thought that it was 12,500 statements, checked thousands of cars with no result. Um, so Sutcliffe killed a Manchester prost- or sorry, sex worker, uh, Jean Jordan, aged 20, in October. Her body was found for 10 days, but had obviously been moved several days after her death. The recovery of her handbag offered a valuable piece of evidence. Sutcliffe had given uh, the woman £5. The note was new and was traced to banks in Shipley and Bingley, um, and from there the wages of 8,000 local employees. So over the months, police interviewed 5,000 men, including Sutcliffe, but did not connect him to the crime. Sutcliffe had known the note could expose him. Um, he returned the body. Af- he returned to the body after a week of killing, and was unable to find the handbag. He tried to remove um, Jordan's head with a broken pane of glass and a hacksaw. So nasty. Chillingly, he did this after hosting a family party at his home. I just. I it's just that whole thought process you know you're having you're at a party you're having a few drinks you're probably having some really yummy nibbles 
and you're living life and but in the back of your head you're like yep i'm going to this dead body and i'm just gonna try and remove her head with a piece of glass like that's in the back of your head the whole time no matter how you're trying to socialize or how you're gonna party but you look so normal that is so fucking terrifying to me like how many other people out there if i talk to you or walk past in the street and they're probably thinking along the same lines um like i just think that is so so freaking terrifying so jordan's body was discovered by bruce jones he later went to play the part of les bastry in the long-range tv soap opera carnation street i know who that is and i love carnation street and we actually have um on i'm a celebrity we have what's her name beverly um i can't remember what her character is on carnation street but she's on i'm a celebrity this year and i love her she's like one of my favorites um Sutcliffe attacked another lead sex worker marilyn moore aged 25th in december <clears throat> She survived and provided police with a description of her attacker. Tire tracks found at the scene match those from an earlier attack. So I think they're slowly starting to figure out that this is someone that they know. So then again, in 1978, despite this, the police withdrew their intensive search for the person who received the five-pound note in January of 1978. Sutcliffe um, was interviewed about the five-pound note, but not investigated further. He would ultimately be contacted and disregarded by the Ripper squad many more times. In that month, Sutcliffe killed again, attacking a Bradford sex worker, Yvonne Pearson, aged 21, this time hiding the body under a discarded sofa so that it was not found until march oh god almighty that is dreadful christ what is wrong with this man um he killed her Huddersfield uh sex worker helen Reiter, age 18 in late january her body was undercover uh, sorry uncovered three days later after a two-month hiatus suckliffe killed again attacking Vera Millward, age 40, in the car park of the Manchester Royal Infirmary on May 16th. So, again, there's just so much more. Like It, it just never ends. In 1979, almost a year passed before he struck again during the time his mother passed away. On April 4th, 1979, he killed Josephine Whittaker, age 19, a bank clerk in Halifax. He assaulted her on the town moor as he was walking home. Despite the forensic clues, the police efforts diverted several months into the uh, fruitless search for a man with a wearside accent, which was pinned down to the Castletown area of Sunderland, following a hoax tape message taunting Superintendent George Oldfield, who leading the search, who was leading the search at the time. The same hoaxers had sent two letters to police boasting his crimes in 1978, signed Jack the Ripper, um, which as you guys know um jack the ripper has never been solved that is still a mystery to this day which i think is so crazy so crazy and claimed to murder that of 26 year old joan harrison and peterson in november 1975 on october 20th 2005 john humble an unemployed alcoholic a long-time resident of the florida state area in sunderland a mile away from Town, was charged with the attempted to prevent sorry to pervert the course of justice response and send the hoax letters and tape and remanded in custody 
On March 21st, 2006, he he was sentenced to eight years in prison for preventing the course of justice. It is expected that he will also be questioned in connection with the Harrison murder. Sutcliffe killed Barbara Leach, age 20, a Bradford student in September, his 16th attack. Yet again, a murder of a woman who was not a sex worker alarmed the public and prompted the expensive publicity campaign, which unfortunately unfortunately pushed Worside connection. Even with this, the false lead, Sutcliffe, had re-interviewed was re-interviewed at least on two occasions in 1979 despite matching several forensic clues and being on the first of just 300 names and connections five pound note uh he was not strongly suspected in total Sutcliffe interviewed by the police on nine different occasions so in 1980 in april he was arrested for a drunken driving while awaiting trial and was charged killed two more women, Margaret Walls, aged 47 in August, and Jacqueline Hill, aged 20, in November of 1980. He also attacked two other women and survived Uponda Bandra, aged 34, in Leeds, and Teresa Skies, aged 16, in Huddersfield. Following, November, following the November number... Uh, sorry. Following the November murder of Suffolk's friends reported him to the police and suspect, this information vanished into enormous volumes that he had already created. So finally, after, you know, how many attacks in total? I think it was like 20 attacks in total, 13 murders. Um he was arrested. So on January 2nd of 1981, Suckless was stopped by the police with a 24-year-old sex worker, Olivia Rivera's in the driveway of the Light Trades House, Melbourne Avenue, Broomhill, Sheffield, in South Yorkshire. And one thing I wanted to mention while I'm talking about Yorkshire, um, Chris and I, my boyfriend, were talking and he's like, why isn't it Yorkshire? Why isn't it Yorkshire? He's like, it it really frustrates me that people just think it should be Yorkshire. And I'm like, that's just the way it's said. I'm like, I don't know what else you want me to tell you. Like, it's just the way it's pronounced. It's like, you know people from canada they say or sorry people from toronto say toronto whereas in alberta and like bc they say toronto i'm like it's just like how people in like europe will say yorkshire and then americans and canadians will call it yorkshire or worcester sauce Um, my favorite is when people say worcester sauce they're like worcestershire sauce i'm like no it's worcester sauce (laughs) it's so funny so that's such a sidebar but let me know your thoughts on that because I think it's really funny when people try and like argue it when you're actually from like the country or around that area um so yeah so moving on um a police check revealed that the car was fitted with a false number of plates and Sutcliffe was arrested for this offense and transferred to Dewsbury police station West Yorkshire um at Dewsbury he was questioned in relation to the Yorkshire Ripper case and his case and uh, sorry he matched so many of the physical characteristics known the next day police returned to the scene of the arrest and discovered a knife hammer rope and he had discarded when he briefly slipped away from the police telling that he was bursting for a pee me that would be me i'd be like i gotta pee i pee i need to pee like all the time too much information but it's true when Sutcliffe was stripped from his clothing the police station he was wearing a v-neck sweater under his trousers um, with sleeves he had pulled over his legs and a v-neck exposed his genital area Yuck. rapist penis yucky um 
The front of the elbows were padded to protect his knees, as presumably he knelt over his victim's corpses. The sexual implications of the outfit were held um, to be obvious, but it was not communicated to the public until 2003 book, Wicked Beyond Belief, The Hunt for the Yorkshire Ripper, written by Michael Bilton after two days of intensive questioning on the afternoon of the 4th of January 1981. Sutcliffe suddenly declared he was the Ripper. Aha, we found you! Um, over the next day, Sutcliffe calmly described his many attacks. Weeks later, claimed that God had told him to murder women. I fucking love when God comes into this. Like, Jesus, get your nose out of it. God, Jesus, whoever you may be, the devil. Listen. Go talk to someone if you feel like God is telling you to do these crazy ass things. Because I'm telling you, God seems to be quite a nice man. I doubt he's telling you to go and stick your dick in a whole bunch of people. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. At his trial, I would, sorry, I just found that just really funny that people, you know, tell him that. Um, he displayed emotion only when telling the murder of the youngest victim, Jay McDonald. And when he was questioned about the murder, Joan Harrison, which valiantly denied, he was charged at Dewsbury on the 5th of January. At his trial, Sutcliffe pleaded not guilty on 13 counts of murder, but guilty of to manslaughter the grounds of diminished responsibility. The basis of this defence was to claim that he was a tool of God's will. Oh yeah, bloody hell. Okay. Sutcliffe first claimed to have heard the voices while working as a grave digger. <laughs> so funny. That ultimately ordered him to kill sex workers. He claimed the voices... You know what? Who gives a fuck if you're a sex worker or not? Everyone does the deed. Let's not all be little tiny prudes here. Jesus had to do it. You know, Joseph and Mary, they did it. I don't care if you think it was a miracle. Joseph and Mary probably had a little bit of hanky-panky in a haystack. And along came the baby Jesus. Let's not lie about this now, okay? He also pleaded guilty to seven counts of attempted murder. The prosecution intended to accept Sutcliffe's plea after four psychiatrists diagnosed him with a paranoid schizophrenia. However, the trial judge, Mr. Justice Borum, demanded his unusually de- detailed explanation of the prosecution reasoning. After two hour after a two hour representation by the Attorney General, Sir Michael Havers, a ninety minute lunch break and further forty minutes of legal discussion, he rejected to diminish the responsibility plea of the expert testimonies of four psychiatrists insisting that the case should be dealt with in the jury. The trial proper was not set to commence until may fifth, nineteen eighty one. The trial lasted two weeks and despite efforts, the counsel James Chadwin Sutcliffe was found guilty of murder on all counts sentenced to life imprisonment um so after his conviction Sutcliffe decided to go um by the name Peter Coonan which his late mother's maiden name which was his late mother's maiden name Sutcliffe began his sentence at HMP Parkhurst on the 22nd of May 1981 despite being found saying his trial he was soon diagnosed suffering from schizophrenia um Attempts to send him to a secure psychiatric unit, though, were initially blocked. During his time at Parkhurst, he was seriously assaulted for the first time. The attack carried out by James Costello, um, a 35-year-old um, career criminal from Glasgow, with several convictions of violence. On the 10th of January 1983, he followed Sutcliffe into 
the recess of F2 Hospital Wing at Parkhurst Prison. He plunged a broken coffee jar twice into the left side of Suckler's face, creating a separate wounds. Separate wounds. Wounds. Um, requiring a total of 30 stitches. In March of 1984, Sutcliffe was finally sent to Boardmore Hospital under Section 47 of the Mental Health Act of 1983. His wife, Sonia, obtained separation from him in 1982 as divorced in April 1994. On the 23rd of February 1966, Sutcliffe was attacked in a private room in Henley Ward of Boardmore Hospital. Paul Wilson, the convicted robber, asked to borrow a videotape before attempting to strangle him with the cable of the prior stereo headphones. Two other convicted murderers, Kenneth um, Erksine, Kenneth Erksine, the Stockwell Strangler. I'm going to do him. And Jamie Devitt inter- intervened upon. Sorry, intervened upon hearing Suckler's screams. After the attack, the fellow inmate Ian Kay on 10th March with a pen stabbed him in his left eye multiple times and right eye was severely damaged. Kay admitted he tried to kill Sutcliffe and was ordered to be detained in a secure mental hospital without time limit. So on December of December 22nd, um, 2007, Suckliffe was attacked yet again. Fellow inmate Patrick Schroeder lunged at him with a metal cutlery knife. Suckliffe flung himself backwards onto the blade and missed the eye, instead stabbing him in the cheek. God, this guy has had a rough go in jail. Everyone's like, just ja- like stabbing him in his face. Um, I'm like making the actions of stabbing myself in the head. Like, what the fuck? An application by Suckliffe for a minimum term was set, offering possibility of parole after the day, if he thought it was safe to release him, he was heard in the High Court of Justice in 16, uh, on the 16th of July, 2010. The High Court decided that Peter Sutcliffe would never be released from prison, Mr. Justice Mitting stated. This was only a campaign of murder which terrorised the population of a large part of Yorkshire for several years. The only explanation for it was that the jury's verdict was anger, hatred and obsession. Apart from the terrorist outrage, it is difficult to conceive the circumstances of which man... One man could have accounted for so many victims. Various psychological reports describing the mental state of Sutcliffe were taken into consideration as well as the severity of his crimes. Bearing any judicial decisions in the contrary, Sutcliffe will spend the rest of his life in Boardmore Hospital. Um, the hearing of his appeal, so he did have an appeal that happened in like 2010. So the hearing of his appeal against this ruling became in November of 2010 in the court appeal. This appeal was rejected in January 14th, or oh, day before my birthday, <laughs> in 2011. On the 9th of March 2011, the court appeal rejected Suffolk's application to leave on the appeal of the Supreme Court. So, you know, he had a very miserable time in prison. You know, he basically became um, blind in both eyes because he ended up, like, having um, just multiple things go on. So then in October of 29th, Sutcliffe was treated at the University Hospital of North Durham, three miles from the maximum security HMP Franklin Jail, where an in, where he was an inmate after suffering suspected heart attack. He then tested positive for COVID after leaving hospital with reports claiming that he was refusing treatment. It emerged on Friday, November 13th that Sutcliffe had died in hospital at 1.10am after his lungs collapsed. The convict lost sight in his left eye in 1997 after being attacked at the pen by a fellow inmate. Um, he then lost the vision in his right eye after an injection, an injection supposed to clear the blurriness caused by diabetes went wrong. 
He was totally blind and often used a wheelchair and required required a jail buddy to help him get around. And that is the story of um, the Yorkshire Ripper and how he died. And it was only a couple of days ago. Well, I guess a couple of weeks ago now because by the time this comes out. But yeah, it's quite, it's quite insane like how excessive that was and like how many murders and how much detail. And even when he was, you know, being investigated, um, how he just went into so much detail so calmly um you know and apparently he did try to like make an apology before he died while he was in hospital and stuff and then he was refusing treatment but you know his last few years in jail he really fucking suffered and so he should have because he just treated the women on this earth absolutely horrible and, and put women in in fear for years and years and years it's just madness to me but anyways i hope you enjoyed this episode um you know let this young lady gave me this to do if you ever have any other murders that you've heard of uh, wherever you are in the world send them in to me message me on instagram i do have an instagram murder on her mind podcast go give it a follow i post all the pictures and more information on the murders um so yeah give it go go check that out and then please don't forget to rate review subscribe that's what's really really gonna help me move up on the charts and help people find out about my podcast um but yeah i hope you all enjoyed this have a fantastic day and stay safe bye bye